0: Hey friends and in this episode of the podcast we have guest host Rich Keegan talking to another of his friends from facilitation years gone by that is Doug Cramfin. This episode is so rich so good in stories that I've actually broken this into two parts so this is part one come back next week for part number two. My name is Phil welcome to Vertical Playpen and let's get into the episode.
1: I'm with Doug Cranfin, who uh, has been one of my mentors for many, many years, and I consider the best teacher I've ever been around, and he's one of the people um, that really got me going with adventure education. Doug has over 40 years of teaching experience in the classroom, as well uh, as on challenge courses, and I wanted to speak with you, Doug, today about your unique perspective being a classroom teacher for over 40 years, and how you came upon adventure, and you've integrated adventure within your... Your classroom f- for all those years. So thanks for doing this, and we're really excited to talk with you today. You're welcome, Rich. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. You actually, when you contacted me, it brought me back, um, brought me back to a time in my life of great joy of working with my fourth graders and particularly my fifth graders, and then with my upper schoolers, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And uh, it brought me, it brought me back to times when I was working on the ropes course with Nikki Hall. And we were finding great joy in being on the course and climbing and group initiatives trust activities doing that whole piece on the course it was a part of my life and i can remember bringing a lot of the ropes course into um, my second job and in the summer which was i worked um, as a canoe and canoe trip leader in the adirondacks and that that fit perfectly with the ropes course stuff as well. But I began to realize that where it really began to affect me and to affect my kids was when it dawned on me that, you know what, experiential education happens within the four walls of the classroom. It, it's, it's called experiential for a reason. And it was experiencing life in a fourth or fifth grade classroom that really became um, a joy once I finally made that connection, I finally could realize that it doesn't have to be up in the, up in the woods of this incredible campus at Rembrick School. It can also happen within the four walls of my classroom. And it took, uh, it took me a while to, one, realize that even though I'd been saying to ropes course groups for years, don't leave what you've learned about yourself on the ropes course, bring it down, bring it down into your life. Uh, it took me a while to um, to really begin to own that and get into the classroom with it. Uh, the classic the classic example is, I think it was the space shuttle Challenger that we lost in 1986. That first major disaster um, that that we all experienced. At the end of that school year, we were doing the lower school at Rembrick was having its final faculty meetings, and the the head of the lower school asked us to get together with our teaching partners, um, there were three fifth grade teachers at the time, to get together and to take a look at our own curriculum and our, the own, our, our own overall plan for the past year and how we're gonna use it for the next year. And we decided at that time that we wanted to create as a fifth grade team a, a theme for the whole year. That was a working theme. It was easy for the kids to remember, and it would become a part of their life for years and years. And I've actually heard from former students of 20 years ago who will write me texts or send me emails and use the acronym. What we came up with in relation to the space shuttle, the the Challenger disaster, was the importance of risk-taking in our lives. So we created, Sandy, Susan, and I created... um, what we referred to as BART. And we, <laughs> we didn't tell the kids for the first week, week and a half, until their first town meeting or fifth-grade town meeting, we didn't tell them. Now, we, we used the word BART, but we didn't tell them what it stood for so that when they got to the first, all-fifth-grade all fifth town meeting uh, in this really nice little auditorium, then we would start to brainstorm the kids, okay, what do you really think it means? For us, what we had put together was BART stood for, be appropriate risk takers. And we wound that through the whole curriculum. For some kids, being an appropriate risk taker was raising their hand. For another kid, it might be really trying to become a math student where they had been failing for so many years. And that fright (laughs) and those risks were as risky as somebody climbing up the two-line bridge or taking, doing the zip wire for whatever it was, and every kid understood a couple of things. They understood that the risk-taking for them, they were able to identify what the classroom risks were for them, but they also, and this is the beautiful part of it, they also began to understand what the risks were for the others in class, for all their friends, or their acquaintances, you know, that they'd been going to school with maybe for four or five years. And after everybody came clean with what their risks, what their risks were, including myself, we it became like this full group um, holding each other accountable, holding themselves accountable, and helping everybody become the risk takers that they needed to become. And the, cl- the classic example, um, classic example. I was thinking about this on the way over here today. In my fifth grade classroom, we didn't use textbooks per se, we read novels, and one of the novels we read is this wonderful book um, for fifth graders called The Witch of Blackbird Pond, incredibly well-written book. So we're having a discussion one day, and you know we're kind of popcorning around the room, around the classroom, on the floor, reading the book, and kids are making comments, and I had thrown out a discussion question that the kids knew about ahead of time, so they could actually do some thinking about it ahead of time as opposed to being on the spot. Throughout the question that I had already given them, and it's kind of quiet, and the kids start to talk, and after about 30 seconds, maybe 45 seconds, this little tiny peanut of a little girl named Susie turns to Bobby in class and says, Bobby, is not participating one of the risks that you had identified? Because we would really love to hear from you because you always make really good comments when you participate. Well, <laughs> I want to tell you that it it just took off because all of a sudden you could see Bobby swell up mm-hmm. and begin to participate, and then the discussion began because he was really a smart smart kid could make incredible connections. The conversation just took off and ran off into a a much deeper conversation and i think that was when i and i don't know i wish i could put my finger on what was it that took me from just just i don't hate using that term but from just being on the ropes course to bringing it down to the four walls and that there are so many opportunities within the four walls, and you know, we would do name games at the beginning of the year, and I would do some small group initiatives within the classroom. But it became no, it's a, it's a way of life. It's not another activity to do after spelling. Okay, name game. You know, no, but it, it became much more than that. And um, I looked forward, I looked forward to coming to school probably as much as the kids did because it was it was really rewarding to watch these kids finding their own risks, learning how to become appropriate risk takers in their own mind, and then helping other kids. That, and that became, I began to realize that, okay, once they crossed over from just themselves, okay, we got something here. I often wonder how many teacher programming, you know, t- teacher colleges now or colleges that are doing um, teaching the profession, how many of them are aware of experiential education, not just on a ropes course, but that whole ethic within the course. So I wonder about it. I, I ended up starting <laughs> because Nikki Hall and I decided in 1977, I think, 78 maybe, decided that we would run um, an environmental weekend for my fourth graders at that time, all the fourth graders. We had three fourth-grade classes and Nick and I set up workshops. So I did a workshop on writing in the out of doors, and we did another one, math in the out of doors. And Nikki and I, Nikki, Nikki Hall, who climbed at that time, she was a rock climber at that time. She said, "Well, how about if we, you know, build a ropes course?" I had had a previous experience at Squadron Line School here in Simsbury, Connecticut, where I did the same thing before I moved to Rembrick. I did the same thing with my Fourth graders, and we had a gentleman by the name of Bob Nolte come, who had run the surge program at Westledge. and he came down and he actually built a small ropes course on the Squadron Line property, um, which we then copied at Renbrook. We brought a couple of years later. I brought it up to Renbrook. and looking at Nikki and Nikki and I talking and looking at each other, going, "You know what? Why don't we just build a small ropes course on our playground?" You know, we had this old climbing rope this old gold line and this old skyline that we ended up using this braided braided rope and we built a little tiny two-line bridge and maybe a little tension traverse and um, that all feedback came from the kids the next week when we evaluated it with the kids that that was their highlight and that's where they felt that they had learned the most um, that for that overnight and that became a That was kind of one of those aha moments, you know, that we've all had um, when suddenly you realize that, oh, this works. The fact is that it's experiential education is throughout an elementary classroom, you know. And then it became when I moved into the upper school, I had already figured that out. I loved teaching in the upper school. So I taught sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade history, you know, I was the history department chair. And during that time, I can remember this will sound a little odd. I loved lesson planning. And one of the reasons I loved lesson planning, I felt like it was, it was how this normally very non-creative person, I mean, anything I ever made in art class turned into an ashtray. You know, I had absolutely no creativity in that regard. So when I did lesson plans, it was how I can use that creative side of me. And luckily, because I had had so many years, 30, 35, I don't know how many years working on a ropes course where creativity grows naturally out of the course, that all of a sudden when I got into on a Sunday you know, in October and I'm doing my lesson plans at home, I realized that I needed to come up with for my own maybe my own sanity never mind the kids benefit i needed to come up with experiential activities for each of my classes during the week and it became kind of a driving force every sunday you know yeah did i have a few papers to correct oh, yeah of course but that i always seemed to put that kind of lower down on the list so that i could spend my time planning and and that became a real highlight and that became a highlight of my life
0: Something that I bring up often in our episodes is the notion that you don't need to know a hundred activities sort of okay. You should try to get really good at about 10 or so activities that you could use in different ways with different audiences. And so with that said, I'm going to be talking about the book that I co-authored called Tinker. Building Purposeful Experiences from Classic Adventure Activities. Now, Tinker is like no other book of activities that is out there. This one focuses on the variations on these classic activities. So we picked a handful of activities. We went through the variations. We talk about how we frame and reflect on those activities and adapt them to meet the needs of any group that we work with. So in the description of this episode, I'm going to throw the link of where you can purchase the book Tinker Once again, if you want to reach out to me, you can do so at Vertical Playpen. You can send me a direct message. That's on Instagram. Or you can email me, podcast at highfiveadventure.org. And I'll answer any questions you may have about this book. I'm very proud of it. So I hope you uh, pick it up and read it and you find value in it as well. Okay, back to the episode.
1: Can you tell me about Civil War Day? Absolutely. When I became the department head, we we had had a day at Renbrook where we took all the eighth grade kids, now we're talking maybe 60 kids, and we bagged the regular day for them, and I had placed all of them in regiments, actual Civil War regiments from Connecticut, uh, the 14th, 27th, 17th CVI, and... We created a day where they could experience what a day was like in an encampment for a real um, Civil War uh, soldier. The day before, in a very tiny, beautifully constructed um, auditorium, we showed them the movie Glory, and we took the speakers and we turned up the speakers so that when the artillery was going off, you could feel it reverberating in in your chest. But we wanted to show... So that that was kind of the the horrors. So we wanted to show them the horror. We wanted them to experience it. But the next day was a full day of being in camp. So we divided the kids into those um, four regiments, and then set a, a schedule where every regiment had um, a workshop leader, a wonderful Vietnam vet who was who is currently a Civil War uh, reenactor, taught the kids how to march and showed them what was in the knapsack and had them carrying the knapsack. You know, a 60-pound knapsack on a little tiny eighth-grade mm-hmm. um, guy was, was pretty hard. But they learned how to march. They learned how to cook in the outdoors. I ran an outdoor cooking workshop based on r- kind of real-life recipes that were used back then. They created thumbprint rolls and a bunch of stuff. And there, another a dear friend of ours, Justin McGlamory, yeah. um, did a workshop for two kids from each regiment on harmonica playing the, we got the woodshop guy to build us a set of stilts for uh, each regiment. And there were two kids on, on each regiment that learned how to do their stilts really well. We, we then did activities over the course of the day, stilt races, and a whole bunch of different activities based on what a day was really like. And we told the kids in the beginning look, over the course of this day, you're going to laugh, you're going to get bored. You're, you're going to want to take a nap. And guess what? Well, welcome to life back in the 1860s kind of thing. And some funny, funny things. One of the activities we had was each regiment had a tent uh, and a fire pit so they could do their cooking. One of the big deals when you were in camp was to write letters home. Well, we had all kinds of those old English composition books, and kids over the course of years, as the years went on, uh, the kids would write letters Fictional letters home, and they were stunning, absolutely stunning. Some kids wrote poetry. Um, Another big thing to do in in a in a real Civil War camp was to draw, do a lot of drawings. So we had sketchbooks, and the kids were spent a lot of kids spent the day drawing. During that time, each regiment also had a regimental flag based on their real regimental flag, and a regimental flag in the Civil War was. Uh, your touch to home it, it, your flag meant the world to you and if the flag went down in battle somebody's picking it up that whole day was centered around the kids could earn different points and it was semi uh, competitive to some extent and then at the end of the day we would add up all the points so for example it would be and if a kid baked an incredibly beautiful thumbprint roll and it was golden brown it'd be worth 10 10 points if you could get your faculty regimental um officer to actually eat that it was another 10 points if you had a burned one and you could get your regimental uh, faculty regimental uh captain to eat it it was worth 15 points you know well then the course of the day we would total up the points and then at the that that was on a friday on monday we would announce the winning regiments for that particular day, and then we would hand out ribbons, like a big blue ribbon, like at a horse show kind of thing. And those ribbons would attach, we would pin to the regimental flags. So the following year, you'd get your regimental flag and you'd see all these other ribbons from past years. But the first year that we did it, we did it, what I used to call sit and get. Wonderfully polite, remember kids would sit on a bench and we'd have an instructor come in and tell them, you know, what it was like. And and the kids would sit there and nod their heads and maybe raise their hand. And I would I spent the first year just wandering around watching to get ideas. And then um, I began to call that level B. And it that became our rain plan for the following year. So the following year, it was much more experiential an absolute ball. And, I, and I'll, I'll leave this part with a kind of a funny story. So I'm on the field and I'm in uniform and the kids have all hats and, you know, we're, everybody's going in different places and it, it's a wonderful time. And one of the kids comes up and he said, hey, hey, C, he used to call me, hey C. and they used to call me C. Hey, C, I found a tennis ball. Um, can we play baseball with it? And I said, well, Civil War and baseball have a a true connection that the Civil War, that, that baseball was around during the Civil War and they would play it. There are actual periods where during battles in the Civil War, the ball would be hit into the woods and the center field would go to chase the ball down and just keep running and run home kind of thing, you know? So I said to him, I said, yeah, I said, that sounds like a great idea. But I, so what are you gonna use for a bat? Well, they have one up in the gym. I said, did they have one up in the gym in 1862? And he, he goes, no. I go, well, what do you think they used? A stick? Well, go for it. So, okay, so now he comes back. He's got this tennis ball that he found in the field and a stick. <laughs> and he says, um, can we play now? And I went, yeah, not yet. I said, um, what do you think some of the rules are for Civil War baseball back then? Uh, and I said, you, you need to get together with the people that want to play, and you need to talk to each other about what do you think some of the natural rules would have been at that time? Oh, what do you mean? I said, okay, think about it. Did they have baseball gloves? No. I said, what did they have that they could, you know, use to catch a ball with? And he looked at me, he looked up at my hat, my regimental Civil War hat, and he went, their hats? So at this point, they back wrote the rules. They realized how hard it was to hit with a stick hit a tennis ball with a stick and I said, "Well, guys, back then the pitcher wasn't trying to get you out. They were trying to allow you to hit it." And I was like, "Oh." And pretty soon I have this game going in the in the field of back-written rules kids catching tennis balls with their hats, swinging and missing with a stick. It was and and it, it became this okay, this is what experiential education is. I still get kids now who write to me, who email me, who text me. I remember when the Civil War Day came, and you know, I I still remember that. And that's because all of them had this shared experience. Yeah. We're used to that on the ropes course. Yeah. We we do that on the ropes course. So my job became as a you know as a ropes course instructor, classroom teacher. My job became, in my mind, to blend to blend the ethics found on the ropes course. These, you know cooperation and you know all these different ethics and and bring that same ethos into the classroom and i, I think that's probably what i liked most about teaching right up right up to the, my my last day of teaching in um in 2013 that that became the highlight
0: So that concludes part one of this conversation. If you enjoyed it and you're excited for part two, then see us next week. Like, subscribe, follow all the things that you can do with a podcast. Listen to them, that's an obvious. And I'll see you on the next one.
1: Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast.
0: And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast?
1: Can you do it? Okay, try Thanks for giving. I'll take a pasta guy. <laughs> <laughs>